Can I get going? Okay, thanks for the clock, everything else. Here we go, okay? Now, you will need a bulletin. So if you do not have a bulletin, okay, you, you need the notes. So if you do not have the notes, raise your hands. Ushers, thank you for coming forward and bringing them forward. You might want to, the ushers will be coming pretty quick. Oh, thank you guys. All right, and they'll be getting them to you. And there's a pen in front of you, but you will need the notes today, okay? And I'm going to stall for one second while we do this. You got one right behind you, too. Bruce, thank you. Okay, grab a pen, too. Everybody wants a pen right now because we're going to do a little exercise here right at the very top, Okay. Okay, we pretty well good there? All right. All right, here's what I want you to do. I want you right now, first thing off the top of your mind, this is one of those exercises where the first thing that comes to your mind is what's important. It's not what you then think about and go after. I want you to, I want you to just, the first thing that comes to your head when you think of three words that describe you. See what I mean? So right now, just, just, just reach down and start writing on this piece of paper, Okay. Just don't think about it too much. We're not looking, there's no right and wrong answers or anything else. It's just the first three words that come to your mind when, you're, when you think about how do you describe yourself, okay? Now, it shouldn't have taken any more time than that. Okay, thank you. All right, now, I want you to look at those three words. And here's what I want you to, to take a look at, okay? Are these three words... Positive, inspirational, make you feel good. See what I mean? They, like when you, when you read those three words, they make you go, yeah. Not necessarily that they're even accurate about you. But just, just they're, they're good, good words, right? They inspire you. They, mo they, they motivate, but not in a bad way. Not because I'm such a horrible person. I need to be a better person. But just in that way of going, yeah, you know, I am that, but I'd like to be that more, whatever. So that's okay, too. But like I say, when you read those three words, do you get... Does it make you feel good? Or, when you read those three words, do you feel the opposite feeling? Which is, they don't make you feel good. They sort of call you out on your crap, and they make you feel bad, and you know what I mean? And they, they may be inspirational in a sense, but it's not like this happy inspiration. It's more like, I really have to stop doing that or start doing that or, you know what I mean? Whatever it is. You see what I mean? Are those three words in that negative category? Okay? Now... I want you to think about it, and I want you to say, are they a mixture of both? Okay, or are they just neutral? It could be any one of those four things, but I just want you to think about what those three words are, and here's why. Doug Thorson, I thought you weren't going to be up at all. Didn't you just get out of the hospital? Is this like a miracle or something? <laughs> yeah. Well, lovely to have you here. Don't anybody hug him too hard, okay? All right. Wow. Uh, you're a better man than me, and I mean that not just because of this in all kinds of ways, Doug, but this is an impressive moment, okay? All right, so as we're thinking about those three words, here's what I want to do. I want you to understand that by the time we're done today, we're going to find words from an entirely different source that are actually, if you really get a hold of what we're doing today, I'm telling you this is something that can completely change your life. Okay? We're going to find another source for what those words are and then what we do with them. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So I'm pretty excited about this sermon. 
uh, who, oh, Todd, okay, one of our Naval Academy grads, we've got a couple, uh, so Todd, pray for the sermon, lift up another church too, would you please? Lord, uh, we uh, pray for some of the churches, and, and one, I'll mention one in particular, but churches that are really struggling right now, churches that are beset by poverty, a lot of suffering, um, finances, all kinds of things, broken families. Uh, Lord, I lift up Freedom Church of Seattle and West Seattle Church I used to be, belong to. Um, the last men, five men buried in that church are all under 50. Wow. So, Lord, they're hurting, and we need to love one another, and that means churches engaging other churches and loving other churches. So I lift Amen. up that church and that pastor, uh, Zachary Bruce, there, Amen. And, and other churches that are in similar situations. Thank you, Lord. And uh, let us love, love one another. Thank Amen. you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Todd. That was great. Okay, now we're in Empowered, which is about the Holy Spirit. And this sermon that I'm going to do very easily fits in Empowered. So easily, I went ahead and used the Empowered templates for the, for the slides and all that kind of stuff. But I got to tell you, ever be even before I knew the sermon, I knew that God was telling me that even though it was a sermon that could, it comes out of, we're going into Luke, just where, where we are in Luke and so on. But even though it very naturally fits with what we're doing, he said, I don't want this to be about the Holy Spirit thing. I really want this to be about something else today. Now, what is today? And by the way, I didn't know this. Honestly, I was in staff and I went, boy, you know, I really want to use this video and I feel like God's talking to me about Memorial Day. And, and then they said, you know, do you know you're preaching this Sunday and it's Memorial Day, right? And I was thinking it was next week. But I was getting this sermon in my heart. I was going, man, I just don't know. Should I preach Memorial Day a week early or, you know, so anyway, whatever. Okay, you can pray for your pastor. But... But during this, I, I want you to see this sermon. We got some sound with it and so on. So I want you to just watch this here for a sec. This is a soldier. When our country needed them, they stepped forward from the crowd. And then they looked back at us and said, I will protect you. This is a soldier. They said, I'll do it, whether it's my boots in the mud, my charter in the sea, or my eyes in the sky. I'll go on your behalf. I'll stand shoulder to shoulder with your brother, with your sister. I will laugh with them. I will cry with them. I will fight with them. I will even die with them. This is a soldier. So they cut their hair. They changed their names. They took their orders. They got up at four, stayed up till 12. The next day, they ran. They sweat. They pushed. They hauled. They marched. They yelled. They served. They beat their chest. They stood in our place. This is a soldier. They sacrificed their time, sometimes their lives. Lives cut short in 
the name of the red, white, and blue, lives cut short because our freedoms depend on it. This is a soldier. So today, we, the church, honor you, you who are left behind, to carry on their name, to carry on their memory, to carry on their flag. We are the church, so we mourn with those who mourn. We are the church, so we care for the widows and orphans. We are the church, so we honor those who have fallen in service. And honor to you, widows and orphans of war. Honor to you, the mothers and fathers who battle on. Honor to your greatest of sacrifices. May God bless you. And may God bless America. Amen. I'd like to, people who have served in the services, to please stand, okay? Please stay. Please stay up. I would like those of you who are in this congregation who have lost someone in war, that it has touched you personally that you've lost, please stay up, guys, would you? There's Chris right there in the jacket, okay? Uh, so go ahead and stand up, you two who have lost somebody. And also, maybe you didn't lose them to death, but maybe something happened, one of these head injuries or something that really deeply impacted that person's ability to be with the family. So if you've lost someone or if you've had your family touched by someone like this, would you also please stand? This is very much a part of what we're honoring and memorializing today. So please stand with them, would you please, okay? Now... I just want us to look around and I want us to see something here. This is the price of freedom. The reason why we stand here today free, the reason why we stand here today able to worship God, the reason why we stand here today with the privileges, the enormous privileges that we have, is because people were willing to go and to serve. People were willing to go and to sacrifice. Families took on the costs of the ultimate price being paid. I want us to remember this. It's important for the sermon, but it's what we do at Memorial Day. We remember. It's not just a barbecue on Monday and a day off. It's a day to remember the cost. The fact about freedom is it is not a right. It is not the natural state of things. The natural state of things is oppression and tyranny. Why? Because if you've got one in a hundred people that is evil in their heart, trying to get over on someone else, they take over one, and then they're taking over two, and then they take over more, and pretty soon everybody's under oppression, unless somebody at some point will stand up against those that are trying to, to do evil, those that are trying to get over. And so the fact of the matter is it is not the natural state that we would be free. 
Freedom is a responsibility, not a right. It is a responsibility. And these are the people that have paid that responsibility. So to honor that, to remember that, to memorialize it in our hearts, to imprint it. We've, we're taking a moment here, and I'm, I've asked Chris Rohr, who's an Air Force Academy grad, and I've asked him to pray for the veterans, the families, the church, all of this. Uh, thanks, Kurt. Um, yeah, to honor those who have served, um, those who are serving, and I'd like to include my dad, who was a combat pilot in World War II. Um, I'd like to offer as uh, prayer uh, some readings from a couple of the hymns, the Air Force hymn, the Naval hymn, and the Soldier's Prayer. From the Air Force hymn, Lord, guard and guide the men who fly through the great spaces of the sky. Be with them traversing the air in darkening storms and sunshine fair. Thou who dost keep with tender might the balanced birds in, their, in all their flight, thou of the tempered winds be near, that having thee they know no fear. Aloft in solitudes of space, uphold them with thy saving grace. O God, protect the men who fly through lonely ways beneath the sky. From the naval hymn. Eternal Father, strong to save, whose arm hath bound the restless wave, who bids the mighty ocean deep its own appointed limits keep, O oh, hear us when we cry to thee for those in peril on the sea. O oh, Christ, whose voice the waters heard and hushed their raging at thy word, who walked on the foaming deep and calm amidst its rage didst sleep. O oh, hear us when we cry to thee for those in peril on the sea. And the soldier's prayer. Brave warriors, should fate find us in battle, may our cause be just, may our leaders have clear vision, may our courage not falter, may we be triumphant and earn victory as we show mercy to our enemies. May our efforts bring lasting peace, may our sacrifice be always appreciated by those we serve. May we return to our loved ones unharmed, should we be harmed may our wounds heal. Should we perish in the struggle, may God embrace us and find for us a place in his kingdom. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Chris. Memorial. The word memory is right in it, right? That's what it comes from. Remember. Memory. This is not just something that happens on Memorial Day. This is something that a nation does in order to properly honor the sacrifice, the cost that it takes. But the, but the thing that I want you to see today is, is that this is what God does. And God does this all the time, right? I mean, from the very beginning of the book, we have this thing that we call the Ark and, and there it is, and it's, that's the mercy seat, and there's the angels that are over it. And inside of that ark, you know, there are three things, right? There's the tablets of stone, remembering. See, this is, this is like a traveling chest that goes with the Israelites wherever they go. And inside of there, you have the law, which is the, the ones that God carved with his hand. And you have Aaron's rod that budded. And that's a very important story to remember because everybody was saying, why a certain tribe and so on? And God said, well, bring a stick in, a dead stick. 
and I'm going to cause one of those sticks to come alive. And the metaphor ought to be really clear. He's saying there's a certain tribe that's going to help keep this nation alive in God, spring to life in God. And it was the Levites, right? And then there's also the man. And it didn't necessarily look like those seeds. It may have, it may not have. Nobody knows. But the point is, is that's to remember God's provision for us. See, so right in this traveling chest, God has put things in there for us to know that they're there and to be reminded continually about what this is and what this is about and what this is for. And there's all these memories. And that's just, the, that's just at the very beginning, all the way through the Bible, right? When they cross over the Jordan at flood stage, the water, God stops up the river. And it's at flood stage, like I said, it's this huge raging river and God stops it up. And then he tells him, build a memorial in the middle of that river so that people can remember that I did this. And then it's build another memorial on the other side when they had victory. And then it's build this and it's do this. And it's, it's take these feast days. Why? To remember. And you've got to understand, some of these feast days could last a month. Okay? And you were required to travel to Jerusalem for a month to remember. He built it into the calendar to be regularly remembering things. Remember, remember, remember. So this is... This is extremely a part of what God does. And we're going to look at a section of Scripture right now. It's in Luke, and it's the next one in our Empowered. Like I say, we're not doing it for Empowered. But I want you to see, when, you, when we first read this, I want you to read it like you would normally read it. You don't have this, what I've been talking about, memorial in there at all, right? Just read it the way you'd normally read it, because here's the way you'd normally read it. It's just the next thing that happened. It's just telling a story, and these are the next events that take place. Watch what, I, watch what I'm saying here, Okay. When eight days were completed for his circumcision, remember the, 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 the shepherds saw the angels and, and then they went in and, and now here, when eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. And when the days of their purification according to the laws of Moses were finished, and this is just a really simple thing, purification is blood is unclean, I mean literally blood is unclean, it's not safe to, to just handle anybody's blood casually. And so God saying that blood is unclean and a woman having a child, there's a lot of blood, right? So there's a purification that takes place. It's been 40 days now because that's how long it is for the boy. And so they bring up to Jesus to present him to the Lord, just as it's written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord, so they're doing that, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. And when you read that, and then it goes on and it talks about Simeon and it talks about uh, Anna, and then it talks about, and so this is just a narrative, right? That's how we read it, as a narrative. The point is, th there's a ton of memory in here of these God trying to get us to remember something for a reason, which we're going to get to. But I want you to see this because I I'm going to take this apart now, and I want to show you how much memory there is in here, even in some surprising places. Watch this. When eight days were completed for a circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. So the angel said, call him Jesus. It wasn't okay to call him George or John or Frank or, you know, whatever, right? It, you were supposed to call him a particular name. Now, when we, when we say Jesus, what do we think of? The man Jesus, right? And we understand him if we know him to be God. We know, understand him as God and that he sacrificed for us and all that. But, when we, but the word itself, what does the word itself, Jesus, mean to us in English? Well, it means nothing. 
really, right? It's just a name. My name is Kurt, right? And that doesn't mean anything about me. It's just Kurt, okay? Well, yeah, Justine goes, well, you're a little Kurt, but anyway, okay? But you know what I mean? Paul's my first name, by the way, so I, hope that I probably should start using that. But bottom line is, uh, bottom line is, is, see, we don't, like, if you're a Native American, when you name somebody, it runs like the wind. What, what, do you get that name at birth? No, you get that name because when the kids are running around, there's one of them that's really fast. And so he became known as runs like the wind. And his name is runs like the wind. See what I mean? This is, you name somebody a certain way for a reason. Well, God did that. You understand that these names that he gives in Scripture, they're not just, they're not just syllables and consonants put together that distinguish George from Pete. They're, they're words that have meaning that anybody who knows the original language catches the meaning. Watch. Jesus. Why, is it, why does the angel tell him, name him Jesus? Well, here's why. Jesus, you see, right, we've already got a bastardization right here. We call him Jesus. You do realize that's not the pronunciation of his name, right? The pronunciation of his name is Yeshua. Okay? And we're going to circle back to that in a second, but I just want you to see something. See, the reason why we get Jesus out of Yeshua is because the German theologians is where we got most of our early Christianity from in America, because that's where the scholarship was going on. And they would write the name Jesus, and, and, and the, or Yeshua, and they would write it J. Because their J is a Y. My, I, I'm a German. My mother's maiden name is Jaeger. J-A-E-G-E-R. Jaeger. See? So what happens is, is that we see that as Americans and we call her Jaeger. Okay? Right? That's how, or Jagger or whatever, right? But we, did you see it? But, so right here, we're already pronouncing his name wrong. But now it goes deeper. Because Yeshua is two words that are forced together in order to become one word which is descriptive of the person. Run so fast. Make that one word. Run, run. I don't know how you do it, right? Okay. Right? But if, you, if when you heard it, every time you heard that name, it meant to you, run so fast, you would say, I know him. He's run so fast. And it would. It wouldn't just communicate George, it would communicate he's fast. So here's what communicate. Yah, which is Yahweh, God, Lord. Now, I'm not actually technically God. I'm, I'm greatly simplifying some etymologies here and so on. So you are really good scholars on this. Go with me. I'm not saying anything wrong. I'm just not going into all the depths of it, okay? Him is actually the Hebrew word that usually gets translated God. Interestingly enough, this will come back for us in a second. See how a small cap Lord when you read in your Bible, small cap Lord, that is actually the word Yahweh. And I, we're going to talk about that in one second, but it's Yahweh. See? So Yahweh is that, they don't translate, they don't, they, they, they should have, but anyway, they don't. So Yah, so when you heard, you, when you heard um, Joshua, right, which is actually a, another name for Jesus, it means exactly the same thing. When you hear Joshua, what you get is, is Jah, when you hear the Yah, not the Jah, because that's the English version of the, but when you hear Yah, you go, oh, that's God. So when you hear the name Yahshua, you say God, Shua. Okay? And what's Shua mean? Salvation. Uh, again, not technically, but close enough, right? So, but, but it means, so when you put those two words together, what do they mean? God, or Yahweh, is salvation. 
And when somebody says, hey, Jesus, or when somebody says, hey, Yahweh, or hey, Yeshua, I mean, everybody who knows the language at that day and time is hearing in their ears, run so fast. They're hearing God is our salvation. That's what his name is. God is our salvation. See it? That's what it's supposed to be. Now, I just want to tell you, it, it's a problem that we, we don't even call him the right name to begin with, but it's a problem that we don't translate the name right. In fact, it's not just, you see, we shouldn't be actually translating in our Bibles Yeshua because that doesn't mean anything to us. In any Bible translation, here's what you do. It's not the word that matters. It's what the word means that matters. And what you're translating is what the word means so that somebody who hears it in that day and age hears what the word is. So we really should be calling Jesus. His name should be God who saves. That's what we should be calling him. Every time we say the word Jesus, we should substitute instead in our Bibles, in our speech, God who saves. That's pretty descriptive. That does something, doesn't it? It gets worse. Watch this. You know that word Yahweh? God. Yahweh. I am. Now, remember, remember what this means. See, when, when people heard in Hebrew the name Yahweh, here's what they heard. I am. It sounded like, you know, Moses is at the burning bush. God is telling him, he's, he, remember, he was raised up in Pharaoh's household till he was 40. He then kills an Egyptian. He then runs away to the wilderness, afraid for his life. Forty years later, God comes. He's 80 years old. God comes in a burning bush, and he says to him, go and deliver my people. Get them, you know, go and tell Pharaoh, set me free. And, and he says, look, the Jews aren't going to listen to me, and Pharaoh's not going to listen to me. So who am I supposed to tell them sent me? And God from the burning bush says, I am that I am. Now, what's that mean? It means I am. <laughs> Who am I supposed to say sent me? I am. Right now, right here, I am. I am. That's who you're supposed to tell him. Not, not I am over there, not I was, not I will be. I was in the, over there. I was over there. I was back then. I am in the future. I am always. I am present near now, always, in spatial, in time, in everything. I am. See it? Now, we should not be translating. Well, here, here's what the Jews people do to it. They say, oh, that's the most holy name of God. No, it's not. It's supposed to be the most intimate name of God. What they do is they say, Hebrew is written in consonants. There's no vowels in biblical Hebrew. There is in modern Hebrew. They still do it from right to left, and they still do the consonants, but then they have what they call vowel points. And they're just little markings around the consonants that tell you which vowel to use. See what I mean? But people, that, if you read biblical Hebrew, it's just a bunch of consonants. Okay? So what the Jews do is they say, the Jewish people say, this name of God, we, you know, the Ten Commandments say, don't offend it, right? So what we should do is we shouldn't say it at all, lest we might offend it, right? Lest we might blaspheme, lest we might say something against God and use his name in vain like the commandments told us not to. See it? So what they do is they say, we're not even going to give it vowel points. Say that word for me, would you? Say that word, those consonants. Say it. I can hear you. you can't, you're not saying it right. Say it the way it's written. 
No, I can still hear you. You're not saying it right. Here's what it sounds like. It's just air. It just moves. There's no vowel. Vowel is what gives us a, a, a noise, right? You notice something, too, by the way. It's like the wind. God's name doesn't have a k or a t in it. Because a k or a t kind of gives it some shape. This is just the wind. See it? Right? So the Jews say, you're going to give it a vowel point, and you can't even pronounce the name. You, you can't say it right and say it right. See, you can't say it out loud and say it right. Can't be done. Let me ask you something. If you're having a financial problem right now, if you're having a relational problem, if you're having a health problem, if you're trying to do something, if, you're, if there's something going on in your life that's really big and you are crying out to God, how would it be to be crying out and saying, I am, help me. I am, I need help. Oh, I am, I am in troubles and I need your help. I am. Do you hear what a different cry that is? Then, oh God, help me. Oh God, help me makes him out there somewhere. I am is here. If he is, he hears. That's what the Bible is filled with. People calling out to I am, and he hears. In fact, it's in the middle when he gives the name, he's hearing the cries of the Israelites in bondage in Egypt. And he's saying, I am, as in I hear, and I'm going to do something about it because I am. So just as believers, wouldn't it be better for us to be calling God what his real name is? Wouldn't we, shouldn't we be translating it properly? Shouldn't we be doing what we do with every other single Hebrew word in all the Bible except this one? Why did we cave to a Jewish understanding of something that distances God from us? Why aren't we the ones who are standing up and saying, no, he's not distant, he's intimate. See? And I'm not going to call him God anymore, and I'm not going to do it Lord in capital letters. I'm just not going to call him Lord. That doesn't mean anything to me anymore. Who's a, who's a slave in here? If you, at least if you were a slave, you'd have some sense of what Lord might mean, and that's not what God intended I am to mean. It doesn't mean slaveship. See, so the word itself, the translation, is all wrong. And it communicates something almost the exact opposite of what's true. What God is trying to communicate is, I am. Right here, right now, for you, I am. And doggone it, we should be saying that. But you know what? It's not just for Christians that know him to say that. Somebody who doesn't know him. They use God, when we talk about God, right? Well, what if instead of the word God, in all of our culture, and all of our language, it was properly done, and the word was I am, and they say, I don't believe in I am. It just gets, that almost becomes a nonsensical saying right there, doesn't it? And I'm not saying you still can't say it, because we all know what a person means by it. But do you see, if we call him the proper name, you can't even hardly say it without being challenged by the, you know, you know I believe I am is not. But you've got to deal with, he's saying that I am. <laughs> so you're trying to say he's not, but he's saying I am. Right in you saying that he's not, he's saying I am. <laughs> Do you see this? I'm really telling you, this is a, a pet peeve of mine, and I keep going, you know, I, I'm kind of like, what hill am I willing to die on? You know, there's some stuff you just aren't willing to die for. And, and I think to myself, ah, oh, you know, how are you ever going to win this battle? 
You know, because if I stand up here and start preaching, and every time I would use the word God, I say, I am, people would come in that didn't know what I was talking about, and they wouldn't have any idea what I was talking about. But you know what? It kind of feels like a hill worth dying on. It kind of feels to me like a word re worth recapturing. And I don't know how to do it, but help me. I'm, I'm being totally serious here. Let's figure out how to recapture what the actual name of God is. Because it is not God, it is not Lord, it is not Yahweh. In English, it is I am. And in Spanish, who knows Spanish? What is it? What? Yo soy. What is it in Japanese? Somebody knows Japanese in here. French is je suis? You get the point, right? Okay? We need to call him by the name which he gave us to call him. And the fact that we aren't is actually robbing us of who he is. Because we're not reminding ourselves. See, if we were calling the right name all the time, in the middle of our cry for help, we'd be saying he is. I am. You see it? In everything that we did, we would be saying, we'd be remembering Oh, he's not God on his throne distant from me, and he's not going to answer my prayer. No, I am the one who is at the burning bush, the one who hears my cries, the one who's there delivering me. See the memory? We'd be getting a memory all the time, all the time, all the time of who God is. I got to tell you, I think it would correct an awful lot of theology in the world just to start calling him by his real name. Now, Next week, I'm probably going to talk about God. In fact, the rest of this sermon, I'll probably talk about God quite a bit. But help me, okay? That's, that's, I, I think that was a little bit of a surprise, right? That in that verse right there was this memory thing, this remember this, this, this be reminded of something on a continual basis because it makes a difference. Like, did you see that when you first read it? That there was something in there that he's communicating this with? God saves, call him Jesus because I want you to say whenever you say his name that God saves. Well, here's another one. Circumcision. Jim Hayford told you that I was going to talk about circumcision for a minute. There's not too many high school kids here, so thank you, God, for that. Okay? Uh, and I'm trusting that we're all adults. I know it's a Beavis and Butthead world, so please don't tweet whatever double entendre that I accidentally say here in the next couple of minutes. Okay? Uh, you know, bottom line, hey, whatever, okay? We're adults. We can handle this, right? So we're going to talk about circumcision for a second, and here's what I want to say. Think about this for a second. What other part of the human body, when a baby is born, can you cut off and not do harm to the child? That's not part of the body. But that was a really good answer. She said umbilical cord. But that's not part of the body, because the human body, we don't have umbilical cord sticking out, right? We have belly buttons, but, Okay. But think about it. There's no other part. Somebody would say, oh, there are other pieces like the appendix. You know what? It turns out the appendix is actually really important, just not for people in prosperous societies. Here's what the appendix does. Duke discovered this a few years ago. People say you don't need an appendix. It was a vestige organ from evolution and all that stuff, right? But here's what the truth is about the appendix. It's a storage compartment for good bacteria. Here's what happens. Your gut is filled with bacteria, and that's how your digestive tract works properly. 
And in most of the world still, they will have epidemics of cholera and dysentery and diseases like that. And what those diseases do is that they absolutely wipe out all the floral fauna bacteria. They wipe out everything in their digestive tract. That's why you die. You need those bacteria breaking down those foods, doing digestive work in order for you to live. Now what happens is when you get cholera or dysentery or something like that, what happens is the appendix has been storing only the good stuff. There's bad bacteria that can get in there too. And if bad bacteria takes root first, you will die. That's why people die. But what the appendix does is, is as soon as the floral gets all wiped out, the appendix is this little safe storage place that it will pump back in good bacteria, good floral, good fauna. It'll pump back into the digestive tract the right stuff so that it can take root and start to grow again. So again, in prosperous cultures, you have an appendicitis, you, you know, you get it taken out, no big deal, because when's the last time you had cholera or dysentery? See? But the truth is, if you were living in a third world place where they do still have that kind of stuff, you'd be really happy to keep your appendix around because it helps you live. So it's not a vestigial thing. It's not something that goes away. There's not, in fact, there's not, we, we always say this about I am. We always say he's a really good designer, right? So why in the world would he design a part of the body that could be cut off at birth, eight days afterwards, and not be a problem? We may actually find in some point in time that there was something about that foreskin that was important in the womb, a health benefit. We have found at this point in time that circumcision is healthier. You tend to have less certain kinds of diseases and so on, okay? So there is a benefit on the health level on that. And there's some controversy about this because there are people that are trying to get rid of circumcision because they think of it as being cruel. By the way, that movement starts in San Francisco. That's where they're trying to literally outlaw circumcision from being done in any hospital in the city of San Francisco, okay? And, and I, I, when you hear what this circumcision is really all about, it seems kind of fitting somehow. But I just want you to think about this for a second, okay? What happens is, what, if, if I am as a really good designer and he's designed part of the body that can be cut off, why? There isn't any biological explanation for it. Most of the world before the Jews was not circumcised. I mean, they were not. There may have been some other marginal things that were going on. But the Jews were the first people where God came and said, I want you to be circumcised. Well, why did he say that? What was this about? Well, it was a remembrance, wasn't it? He was trying to say, hey, just tell me, okay, sorry again, okay, I'm trying my best to not get myself in a hole here, but, all right, but just tell me, what member of the body, male or female, causes more problem than this particular member that we're talking about right now? <laughs> right? Does your finger cause this much of a problem? How about your eye? Your hand, your foot. Can, can we just be clear about this? God didn't do this haphazardly. He didn't cause there to be a little skin on your finger that you would cut off, no problem. He took the one member that's the biggest stinking problem in the world. And he literally said, cut away the bad. See, there's a kind of flesh that I have that's called my skin, and the Bible refers to it. There's nothing wrong with it. But there's another kind of flesh that the Bible talks about all the time, which is evil, which is carnal, which is to say this. It is the kind of flesh that wants to go do its thing, even when you know that God wants you to do something else and has something else for you. We call it sin. When you don't go God's way, you go your own way, that is sin, period. 
I don't care whether you think it's sin or not. It is sin when you don't go God's way. He's got a better plan for you, and when you choose your own way, you're in sin. Whether you think it's true or not, that's what God calls it. And what he says is, is he gives us this incredibly powerful metaphor for all the world to witness at all times. And what he says is, there is a kind of flesh that can be in your life, and it is covering the good stuff. It's covering the important things. And I want you to cut it out of your life, and I want you to become open and transparent to me. Do you see it? When the Jews are called to circumcision, that's not like they got a tattoo or Indian put a little dot on their thing in order to separate themselves. God was making a point with it. And the point that he was making was, this member gets you in a lot of trouble, and I want you to cut that out of your life. I want you to be open and transparent to me. By the way, there's a really important moment right now for guys in this church. Right? If you're anybody that struggles with this, and if you don't, then come lay hands on all the rest of us. But I'm really being serious right here for a second. I want you to think about something. Think about the analogy. Think about how great the analogy is. So you're supposed to cut it away, right? But then you go back to sin. And you do something that is sin, right? Because of that member getting on fire, and there you go, right? Now, is what happens at that point in time that the foreskin grows back because you sin? No. It doesn't grow back. Here's what we do as guys. See, I did something and I shouldn't have done it, and now I feel so ashamed. See, Adam and Eve, right? They were naked and they didn't know it, and then they sinned and they knew it, and now they wanted to cover themselves. Here's what God is saying. We make it about the fact that we did the act. He makes it about the journey that we're on because of the problem. He's trying to take us down a path that will literally last the rest of your life. And I'm not saying that that means you have to fail. Do not ever hear me say that. What I mean is, is that this is something that's going to be a factor in your life. And the fact of the matter is, is what he's doing is he's taking you on a journey of dependency. He's taking you on a journey of grace. He's taking you on a journey of love. He's taking you on a journey to show you how many times you need to forgive because of how many times you've been forgiven. He's taking you on a journey to come to know him. You see this? Literally what he's trying to do, see, in, in the modern world, what happens is we get circumcised. Why? Ten years ago, before they had any idea that there might be health benefits, and I want to say it's still a little controversial, but I don't think that it's medically controversial. I think it's philosoph philosophically controversial because there's people that want to say there's no problem with it. But medically, it appears that the evidence is pretty strong that there really is benefit to being circumcised. If I'm wrong about that, forgive me because that's not important to our point. The metaphor still stands even if it's not true. You understand? But what we're going after is, is we're going after that what God has done is, is he has given us, he has given the Jewish people something to, to remind themselves of the choice that they entered into when they entered into a relationship to become part of the family of God. It reminds them. In the modern world, we get circumcised. Why? We don't remember that it's for religious world reasons. Non-religious families will still go ahead and do that. It's just become the cultural norm in America. So what does it remind us of? Nothing. It's just what it is. But why did God tell us to do it? 
because he was trying to get us to remember something, to remember the nature of the choice. By the way, why would God only do that with men and not with women? Because, of course, women don't sin. <laughs> I got to tell you, if after the sermon two weeks ago and that comment right there, if you don't like me as a guy, as a woman, you know, you, that's bad of you, okay? That has been so nice and charitable. But I'm, I'm going to stop that right now. Okay. Now, of course, women struggle with this sin too. I, I just want to say, I, I really do want to go after something. Here's what we do, see? And, and here's what we do. We say, woman, you need to be chaste. You need to protect yourself. But that's not what God says. Because what we say in the world is we say that women need to protect themselves. And guys, you know, do your best, but you're going to fail and go, you know, whatever. Right? It's almost like, a, it's almost like you're a virile man because. Right? That's the way the world looks at it. And so then the religions get a hold of that. And what religions say is, is, well, if the girl's the problem, cover her up. And by the way, women, throw the guys a bone, would you? You know, I mean, if, if, if you're flopping around all over the place, that's going to be a problem for a guy, okay? You may think it's gorgeous and wonderful, but don't be mistaken about what it's doing to some guy, okay? And so thanks for helping us, right? But do understand something. Where's God put it? God puts the emphasis on the man. God says, men, you're the ones that are supposed to be paying attention here. You're in a relationship with me, and you're supposed to be the ones that are controlling yourselves. Now, is it going to be hard? Is it going to be issues? Yeah. It's called a journey in Christ. And by the way, this whole circumcision thing is for men and women, because God says what's happening to all of us is we're being circumcised in heart, which is to say we're taking the hard parts, the parts that are not open to his teaching and to his, and we're cutting that off, and we're tossing that aside so that there's something that is vulnerable and exposed that he can write his law, his will, his heart upon. You see it? So right there, we, now we see that in this little passage right here, we've only done one verse, for heaven's sakes, and we've already seen a, a, a remembrance that's supposed to be in the name of Jesus. We already see a remembrance that is supposed to be in circumcision. Right? Let's go ahead and hit the other one. When the days of their purification according to the laws of Moses were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem and presented him to the Lord, just as is written in the law of the Lord. There's two things here. Every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord and to offer sacrifice according to what's stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, I'm going to say something real quick. I'm going to international convention tomorrow, and that's down in Florida, and I'll be gone for the week, and then I'm not going to preach next weekend, and I was going to preach the weekend after that, and, but I was, I was figuring out and praying about who should preach next weekend, and Justine is the one that I felt like God gave me, so I said, you know, take it, and what do you think? And she said, Simeon, and that happens to be what's next week, and that wasn't by design, that's just the way that it worked out. I, if we were out of order, I would have just skipped over it, and she would have preached it and so on, but it worked out pretty nicely, right? And the bottom line is, is that she has a revelation about Simeon for next week that is phenomenal. But then she came to me and she said, now look at this about Anna, which is the next story, Simeon and then Anna. And I went, man, that's a one-two punch of sermons. I, I've never done this before, but she's going to take the next two Sundays because she's got a one-two punch on this whole Holy Spirit-empowered thing through Simeon and Anna that I would have never got to, I don't think, and that I cannot wait to hear. So I'm really excited about it, and I want you to, to enjoy and, and the whole thing, okay? 
I mean, it's going to be really good. I'm going to be here for the second one. But I do want to just give you a little bit of a, an insight into how good this stuff is because I want to tell you I'm stealing her stuff right now. A pair of turtle doves, according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves are two young pigeons. That's not actually correct. Here's what the law says. If you can afford it, give a lamb. If you're too poor to give a lamb, then, you, then I'll let you do birds, which are like a lot cheaper. A couple of doves or a couple of pigeons, see? Right? So here's the insight that Justine had. She said, I called her up when I asked her about this. And she said, it's interesting you'd say that. And she said, I've really been mulling this thing over in my head lately. And it goes like this. The parents of the one who is the Lamb of God couldn't afford a lamb for the redemption price. I don't know about you, but that just sends off. That's just like fireworks going off in me. The parents of the one who is the Lamb of God couldn't afford a lamb for the sacrifice, which he's going to be. Well, you could say it that way, but the truth is they still had to make a sacrifice. And what I get out of it is something like this. Our world is so screwed up. You go to Bangladesh, and a factory that they knew was going to collapse collapses, and hundreds die. If Jesus had been born to parents that could have afforded a lamb, he would have been in the upper third or the, you know, in the first world or maybe even the second world. But he would not have been a, they would not have been a third world kid. And a funny thing about money, you know, the, the Gate Gatsby opens up with this line. I think it's Great Gatsby, and if I got it wrong, tell me which one it is. But I think it's Gatsby, and it opens up like this. The rich are not like you and I. Is that Gatsby? Did I get it right? I think I did. Rich does not play down. In other words, people that aren't rich can't really relate to what rich is. But poor plays all the way across the spectrum. When God comes, he comes as poor. The poorest. So that the person in Bangladesh knows that I am is near there too. See it? And then it plays all the way up through the wealth, which, by the way, is supposed to be being, don't think I'm socialist when I say this, but it's supposed to be being redistributed. Not by the government, by us. We're supposed to be caring for those people, and we're not. And it's to our harm that we're not. Now, that's the revelation. I think there's more ways you could have gone on that, but that's a great revelation, and I love it, and that was just a little sermonette in the middle of my sermon. And so I just want to tell you, come and listen to her because it's going to be great. But, but here's the ones I'm going after. Every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord. A pair of turtle loves two young pigeons. Every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord. What's that about? Does anybody know where it comes from? Yes, yeah, the Levites, but, but it is Passover. What, but why is he demanding the firstborn kids? This is a, this is a really important point. Yeah, that's exactly right. Did, did, did you hear it? See, here's what happens. In Egypt, when God is setting captives free, understand the language, when God is bringing freedom, what's the price? The death of the firstborn. Wait a minute. He did ten plagues. Exactly right. Here's what God was doing. People that say you don't need Jesus to die in order to get to God, God gave them nine of the plagues to try and prove to you that that was not true. 
See, he did nine other things and people didn't get it. Do you see it? It wasn't until the firstborn was killed that it set people free. That's the one that was that dramatic. That's the one that was big enough. That's the one that was truly the price. Do you see it? And it's pointing, of course, right to Christ, who is the firstborn of God, who is, who is the one that God is sacrificing and, and doing all this. And we'll get to redemption in one second. But, but, but now here's what God does, see. Why does he then require of the Israelites the firstborn? Because God doesn't play favorites. Just because the Jews are his chosen people doesn't mean if I had to kill the Egyptians to set you free, I'm going to demand the firstborn from you too because that's the only way you're going to be free. Because you need to remember what a big deal all this is. This freedom thing is not the natural state of things. This place of grace and blessing is not the natural state of things. It is a blessing that is bought at a cost. You see it? This is extraordinary, isn't it? So what he's doing is, is he's saying of the Jews, you will come. Now, now here's what a Jewish family has that an American family does not. We do not come to church with our firstborn male and offer him to me, and I say, I'll take him, and we'll train him up in the temple, and we'll, we'll train him up in how to minister and all this kind of stuff, and he will be a minister to the people, and he will bring the whole family, your whole family, and the whole family of God unto the Lord. We don't do that. But think about this. Every Jewish family that's got a firstborn male, guess what they do? I went to the temple and I offered my son to God. And if it's Hannah and Samuel, I could have walked away. You see that? This is a firstborn. This is a big deal. Now what God does is he says, rather than take your firstborn, what I'll let you do is, I'll let there be a substitution. There's a sacrifice that still has to be made so the lamb or the pigeons take care of the sacrifice, right? But what he's really doing is he's saying, I'm going to allow a substitution. So the Levites, the one with Aaron's rod, the Levites are the ones who are going to be doing that. Do you see it? So what he does is, is he's allowing, excuse me, I got distracted there. So what he's doing is he's saying, look, I'm bringing you, I'm sorry, I need to catch myself again. Uh, I got distracted and now I've lost my place. I'm sorry. Firstborn male dedicated to the Lord. Oh, the Levites. So where he is is what he's doing is he's saying, the, I'm allowing the Levites to do this substitution, which is speaking to what? The fact that Jesus Christ is allowing us, or God is allowing Jesus to be the substitution for us. See? But now here's what it means to a Jewish person before Jesus is born. In order to keep in relationship with God, we need this entire tribe. One out of 12 people in our entire nation has to be dedicated to helping us stay with the Lord. Do we have anywhere near those numbers right now? What is it? One in 150 or so. And then we wonder why we're not staying with the Lord. Now, all of us are priests, so it's not just about pastoral, but let me make it clear. And I, I, this is not a tithe sermon for heaven's sakes, but do you understand 
the Levites and the tithe are totally collected because the fact is if everybody was tithing, the church would be raising up not just more ministers to go off and do stupid things. They'd be raising up people that would be helping the poor. They'd be raising up people that would be doing arts. They would be raised in, for a, in a meaningful way so that Hollywood was not the dictator and so that, you know, movies like um, Rogue Saints don't have any mechanism to be shown and everything else. There would be a, a solid pipeline of really excellent, godly, interesting, deep, meaningful, awesome stuff. And you wouldn't have to sell your soul to Hollywood in order to get, if you were clever and smart like that, and only superficial crap got put out for Christians. And that's not always the case, right? I get that there's, and I certainly didn't mean to include Rogue Saints in all of a sudden I realized how somebody could take that. I think Rogue Saints was a phenomenal movie. And I think the fact is, is that what we could be doing with this, and I'm not just making an argument for tithes to movies, I'm talking about the fact that everything in our culture should be affected by God, by I am. And it should be coming through us. And if we were doing the Levitical principle, which in this day and age is the tithe, there would be people that we would be, we'd be raising up in order to reach more effectively, more powerfully, more better the whole of the world. Do you see it? This is what God is trying to bring us to. This is where we need to go. Now, according to what is stated in the law, a pair of turtle loaves are two young pigeons. We've already done it. The substitutionary sacrifice. There's got to be a sacrifice. And there's a substitution in it. And again, this is pointing directly to Christ. So here's what we got. In that little four verses, we've got the name of God, the name of I am, the name of Jesus, the name of God who saves. We've got circumcision reminding us. We've got dedication reminding us. We've got substitution reminding us. We've got all these things reminding us. And do you understand that in today's culture, almost all that's gone? We don't remind ourselves of any of these things anymore. We do get a little bit close in that when we think of Christ, we think of God sacrificing his life for me as Christians. So I'm not saying it's gone entirely. That's pretty powerful as a remembrance. And when we see the cross, we need to see the, the price that was on the cross. Right? We need to rem be reminded that it's, the empty cross is a perfectly fine thing, but there was somebody on it at one point in time, and we need to remember that. And we do as Christians, right? So we do have something that's replaced, but not in fullness. I I'm going to just tell you a quick story. This is Men's 33. This is the thing that we're doing is, is the men's retreat. I mean, not the men's retreat. This is the thing we're doing is the men's ministry, and we do it on Saturday morning and on Monday at Azteca. Saturday morning here at Azteca. And this has been a, a phenomenally good study. And I just want to tell you that in this study, there is this kid who's a rapper. His mom and his dad, he never has met his dad, never met him once. Apparently, the mom and dad hooked up, and he came out of it, and that was it, right? And this kid's growing up, and he's saying, I'm growing up, and I don't know God. I don't know anything about this. And, and he says, I'm growing up. And here's what the message, here's the script that's playing through, playing through my brain. What Men's 33 is going after is the lesson before this dad study. What they went after is they said, everybody has a script that's playing in their mind. That's telling them who they are. And it's coming from 
dads and moms and culture and education and friends and experiences. It's coming from all these places. But everybody has a script that's been written, and it's playing through our mind and telling us who we are. Do you see it? Right? And what this kid says is he says, the script that was playing through my mind, the film clip that was playing through my mind was this. You're worthless. You have no value. Your dad has never even thought to get in touch with you. Maybe a drug addict, maybe in prison, but he's never made any effort whatsoever. So you are not worth it. You are worthless. So the script that's playing in my mind is worthlessness, worthlessness, worthlessness. So all of a sudden I hear one day about this Jesus and that Jesus died for me. And he said, for the first time, another script started playing in my head. If somebody's willing to die for me, I must be worth something. There must be some value there. And then as I started to explore who this Jesus was, it turns out he has a purpose for me. That means I'm supposed to be doing something, not just doing what I was doing, which is, you know, what all the, you know, to a certain extent to be a minority, the machismo and the Spanish culture, and there's a same thing in the African-American culture, but the bottom line is to rebel against that which is oppressing you is what it is to be manly. So he's trying to express himself in all of these ways that are reinforcing worthlessness, and he's trying to get to manliness through worthlessness. But all of a sudden, he's got this new script playing in his brain. And it's saying, you are worth something. Somebody died for you. Somebody loves you. Somebody cares about you. Somebody's with you. Somebody, you see what I mean? And all of a sudden, he said, that new script started playing, and I started turning my life around because I started listening to the new clip that I was worth something. Cool, huh? I'm looking at somebody who works at Jubilee Reach right now, and that ministry does that all the time, and man, do I love Jubilee Reach. Right? I wrote down three words right here. This is the script that plays in my head from the world and my experiences and from parents and from all this kind of stuff. Here's three words. You promise, promise not to laugh. Smart, fun, and easygoing. Now, that's the first three words that came to my mind. Like, my wife is the one that laughed. <laughs> I asked everybody not to laugh. And Julie, I know, I said the same thing. I wrote them down and I went, really, easygoing? For heaven's sakes. You know, I'm not easygoing. I think I'm, I'm, I do want to make it clear. I think I'm smart, but I know I'm not the smartest person. I'm old enough now to know how many smarter people there are out there. And I wish I was smarter because I could be more simple. But the bottom line is, is that I, you know, if you know me very well, you know I'm fun. You know what I mean? Now, I'm not fun. You know, I get under a lot of stress, which is what I've been living under quite a bit lately. But, I, but basically, my, my basic nature is a lot of fun. The easygoing one is the one I'm going, where the heck did that come from? You know, was I just having a brain fart or something? Or, you know, what the heck happened there? And all of a sudden, as I got to thinking about it, I thought, that's actually what I want to be. That's, and I don't do it as a condemning way. It was an inspirational word for me. It was a word that was calling me to something, but not in a condemning way. Because the fact is, is I like being easygoing. I do like things being done well. And when it falls on my shoulder and I have responsibility and it's too much responsibility, then I get stressed out like anybody does and I don't do as well and I'm not easygoing and I'm all that kind of stuff, right? Passion might have been another word I would have wrote down there. But the truth is, I do like that I'm passionate, but I got to tell you, that doesn't bring me as much joy as easygoing does. 
And see those words in there, they're not all necessarily true of me to the point that my own wife would laugh at me. <laughs> but they are what inspires me, and not in a bad way, in a good way. Not in a condemning way. So I want you to listen right now, and I want you to start listening to the words that God uses to describe you. Because there's a script from the world, your parents, your friends. There's this script that's playing in your mind about ex from experiences. But there's another script that God has been trying to bring to your remembrance, bring into your mind. And it goes like this. You are God's masterpiece. Does anybody, did anybody write down masterpiece? Literally, is there one hand in this place that wrote down the word masterpiece? You do understand that we've only said that particular scripture, Ephesians 2.10, what, several million times now in 15 years? Use it all the time. And yet nobody, even me, would think to write down that, I'm a, that what I am to describe myself as a masterpiece. You see it? How about this one here? You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. I can go with people belonging to God, but a royal priesthood, eh, holy nation, eh. Chosen people, yeah, thank God. But you see it? See, I got a script that's running in my head that's different than the script that God is trying to run. There's two film clips playing right now, and I'm trying to get back to the one that God is trying to define me as. I'm trying to get past what binds me to what redefines me. He chose us in him before the creation of the world. That's a long time ago. You are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Because we are his children, God has sent his spirit of son into our hearts, prompting us to cry out, let me, let me properly translate that, Daddy. Not Abba, that doesn't mean anything to us. Properly translate it, Daddy. Now you're no longer a slave, but God's own child. Since you're his child, God has made you his heir. Did, you, did anybody write down heir? Did anybody write down child of God? Nobody wrote down child of God? Really? So see how very much our Father loves us. He calls us his children, and that's what we are. The people who don't belong to God don't recognize that we're God's children because they don't know him. You are my friends. Do you think of God as your friend? Do you think of I am as your friend? Since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserving privilege where we now stand and we are confidently and joyfully looking forward to sharing God's glory. That's who he defines you as. Glorious. Anybody write that one down? God knew his people in advance. He chose to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That's who we are, brothers and sisters of Christ. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. Did anybody write down righteous, right standing? And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. You are the light of the this is who we are. This is the script that God is trying to get playing in our minds because the script that we've got playing in our minds is bringing us into a continual place of bondage to lies, 
to deceit. God is trying to bring us into a new place, a new script, one that is like, wow, <laughs> wow. You realize, don't you, that you're the temple of God, that God himself is present in you. So right now, okay, I want you to do something. In your packets is a business card. If you don't have one, raise your hand right now. The, the ushers will come forward, and they'll give you a business card, okay? Hand me one, would you? Do you have one? Does someone have one in their pocket? Can I steal one of yours? Can I steal yours? Thank you. It looks just like this, okay? And it says, God's words to define you. So raise your hands and get one of these, okay? And I'm going to wait just one second. Actually, I don't have to wait on this one. Just keep your hands up. Here's what I want you to do. I do not want you to write this one down without thinking and without praying. This time, I want you to take a little time. I want you to spend a minute. Thank you for someone coming up and playing behind me here. But what I want you to do is I want us to take, we're only going to take a couple of minutes here, but I want you to pray about it, and I want you to let God bring you the three words, maybe a short phrase in there, but the three words that define you. Do you see it? I want you to go after the three words that God is trying to get you to know about yourself. Not in a condemning way in an inspiring way. So take a minute right now, would you? And let the Lord speak to you as we just listen to just a, a quick little tune here. I just want you to, I need a pen. I'm going to write mine down too. Thanks. I don't want to take yours though. You need a pen too. 